You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church, Carlisle. While our world is in a season of uncertainty, we know God rules over all things. In this series, we'll explore the opportunity before us to reflect, recalibrate our lives, and return to God with all of our hearts. Good morning, Sojourn Church, Carlisle. So good to be with you again this morning, um, looking at God's Word together. Today, we'll continue our series looking at this great opportunity, and we'll continue by looking specifically at Jeremiah 29. But before we end up looking at Jeremiah 29, I want to give us some historical context about where we find ourselves this morning within our passage of, um, that we're reading. The nation of Israel at this point has been sent into exile under King Nebuchadnezzar and Babylonian rule. And the prophet Jeremiah has been prophesying to the nation that God has given the nation of Israel into the hand and into the authority of King Nebuchadnezzar, and it will be done by God's will and for his purpose. Hananiah and other false prophets were giving uh, a, a false prophecy against Jeremiah and, as well as the nation of Israel, saying um, that God had actually broken the yoke of the nation of Babylon, and therefore their exile will only last two years. It's coming from Jeremiah 28, verses 2 through 3. So here we are in Jeremiah 29, and we get to hear Jeremiah's response um, to these false accusations. Jeremiah responds by sending a letter from Jerusalem to the exiled elders um, in Babylon in order to provide direction and also to give guidance to those who were living away from Jerusalem. So today, we'll, for our reading, we'll read Jeremiah verse, uh, chapter 29, looking at verses 4 through 7. And then also we'll, we'll jump over to verses 10 through 14. Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles. I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Find wives for yourselves and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Pursue the well-being of the city. I've deported, it, deported you too. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. Verse 10. For this is what the Lord says. When 70 years, uh, for, um, when 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. You will call to me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from the nations and places where, where I banished you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore to you the place from which I deported you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you, God, that you have called us into this moment. God, that we are in this place not by happenstance or just by um, chance, but by your divine hand and by your divine sovereignty. Father, I pray that you will be with us and you will guide us as we look at your word. As always, take my little, make much of it. Glorify yourself as only you can. Let some mind be transformed. Let some soul be saved for the advancement of your kingdom. May your word be clear and concise. And may we be better because of it. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Carpe diem. Carpe diem uh, is a Latin phrase meaning seize the day. It was used to encourage someone to make the most of the present rather than dwelling too heavily on the past and or even on the future. And this week, as we explore the next great opportunity before us as, a, as God's church, I invite us to consider this opportunity, the opportunity to seize the moment. Now, here's a question that we want to look at and analyze today. How did God instruct the nation of Israel to seize the moment despite them being in exile? And here's the second question we want to look at. What does it mean for us to seize the moment before us um, and despite the challenges that surround us in this pandemic? You see, Israel was called to seize the moment by understanding two things. They were called to seize the moment by understanding the sovereignty of God through the exile, verses 4 through 7 in Jeremiah 29, and then also the sovereignty of God throughout eternity, verses 10 through 14, Jeremiah 29. In verse 4, we see the first aspect and the first reason why God has sent them, um, how his sovereignty prevails despite the exile. Look with me in verse 4. It says, this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. And here we see our first point, that God sent his people into exile on purpose. Here at the very beginning, we see the importance of a name. I remember uh, at the time trying to name my children and uh, thinking through, looking at through all these different resources and online resources, trying to figure it out. Um, and we finally land, landed on the names of Naomi, Elliot, and Luke. And the reason why we came to those names is because those names have meaning. Um, Naomi in Hebrew means God is my delight or God is my pleasure. Elliot is derived from Elijah, which means that the Lord or, or the Lord God is my king. And finally, Luke, um, name um, from Hebrew, from the origin, from, um, origin in Hebrew, means the Lord is my light. You see, a biblical name depicts one's purpose. And also a biblical name depicts one's character. Think about the names we have or know from the Bible. Adam means from the dust. Eve means mother of all living. Abraham, his name means father of many. Isaac's name means laughter. David's name means beloved. And even Jesus himself's name means savior and or deliverer. Notice here the name that God chooses to reveal himself to the nation of Israel. He chooses two specific names. He could have chose any names, but he chooses these two specific names. He says, the Lord of armies, or another way of putting it is the Lord of hosts. This name, um, this name um, provides an image that God wants to give to his people. The, the image is this, is that um, all created agencies and forces are under the leadership and under the dominion of God, who made them, who sustains them and maintains them. In other words, God wants to know, let the exiled, um, exiled uh, ones know that he is the sovereignly good creator. The emphasis here is on God's power, his strength, and on the security of God in the face of his enemies. This is the name, the Lord of hosts, or the Lord of armies is the same name that David used when he confronted Goliath in that valley right before destroying him. Notice the second name, the God of Israel. This name was actually a name given to God by Jacob. 
in Genesis 33, 20. This name was given to God by Jacob upon him, uh, upon him being protected from his brother Esau's wrath after stealing his birthright and not seeing him for many, many years. You see, God protected Jacob from Esau. And as a result, Jacob wanted to give God a new name. So he called him the God of Israel, which means this, that he calls him the God who triumphs over my enemies or the God who protects me from my enemies. This is very important because, again, names have, biblical names have purpose. God describes himself as the Lord of armies, and he says, I am the God of Israel. And listen what he says. He says this in verse 4. He says, this is what the Lord of armies and the God of Israel says to all the exiles. I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. This word, uh, Hebrew word exile, and also this Hebrew word for I deported are very, very close in pronunciation. The exile word is gola in the Hebrew, and then um, I deported is gala in Hebrew for I deported. And the exile just means this. It's the captive ones or those who have been sent out. I deported simply means to uncover or to remove. So catch the idea here. God is closely associating himself with those who've been removed. He's saying this. He's saying that those who were carried away, I caused it. I'm the one that has done it. This is a good reminder for us, even as we look at this verse four, that God is never afraid to take credit for his accomplishments. He is a creator of the heavens and the earth, and he always takes the initiative within his creation. I love how Isaiah 45, 12 puts it. God says, I have made the earth and created humans on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens and I commanded everything in them. Not only do we see that God sent his people into into the exile on purpose, verse 4, but we see in verse 5 and 6 that God calls Israel to build, to live, and to thrive where they've been planted. Look with me in in these verses. It says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Find wives for yourselves and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. You notice the verbs that are used in this verse? Build, plant, find, multiply. This this Hebrew word build here simply means that. It means to build or to rebuild, to establish or cause to continue. The building can can both be figuratively or it can be literally. This word, Hebrew words, occurs over 375 times in the Bible. And the first time it was actually used was when God took the rib from Adam's side and he fashioned or he built or he made or created or established Eve in creation. We also see this word in Genesis 4, 17, where Enoch built a city, as well as in Genesis 8, 20, where Noah built the ark. Plant is a word, Hebrew word that means to fix or to establish, to, 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 uh, to fasten. It occurs about 55 times in the Bible in total. And this word is very closely related to God planting the garden of Eden in Genesis 2.8. We actually planted and fixated that garden within his creation. We also see this aspect within Noah planting a vineyard after the flood in Genesis 9.20. And also in a, um, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 2, where it talks about a time to plant and also a time to die. 
We have this word find here next. It, it simply means to take, to fetch, to lay a hold of, to acquire, to marry, or to take a wife, to snatch away. This word find in the Hebrew is equi- uh, equivalent to when God took man to make Eve in Genesis 2.15. It also is equivalent to when God took the rib from, from Adam's side in Genesis 2.21. Lastly, we have this word multiply. This is probably my favorite word out of all of them because this word means to, to be or to become great. It means to, to be or to become many or to be or to become numerous. It occurs over 211 times in the Bible in totality. And this word is very closely connected to to God's command to all creation, specifically the birds of the sky in Genesis 122, when he tells them to be fruitful and multiply. He used the same Hebrew word um, for Adam and Eve in Genesis 128, when he tells them also to be fruitful and and to multiply. Can you hear the irony from Israel's perspective? God has willingly, he has perfect, purposely sent his people into exile, and now he's calling them to build. Now he's calling them to plant. Now he's calling them to find, and now he's taught calling them to multiply in a foreign land. Honestly, from the nation of Israel's perspective, this just doesn't make sense. But this is a good reminder for us that God never changes. You see, God has always called his people to work within his creation. And God has given us as as human beings a mandate to make something more out of the resources that he provides. From the very beginning of time, God has given us a mandate to make something more than from what was originally given. Theologians call this the cultural mandate of God. And we see that very clearly in Genesis 1, 26 to 28. In the cultural mandate of God, we see two things. We see the sovereignty of God over creation. We also see the stewardship of man within creation. It's a good reminder for us that God loves to invite us and involve us within his plans. At this time, what I want to do uh, is invite you as a family to stop. Even pause this video if you want. And I would love for you guys to read Genesis 1, 26, chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. And I would love for you to find out, um, you, using this rubric I'm going to give you called the four Ps, I would love for you to find out what is God, um, what, what, how does God want us to make and to know his plans. So here are the four Ps. Let me give them to you really quick. The first P is this, what is God's plan? Excuse me, first P is God's plan. The second P is God's purpose. The second, the third P is God's practice, and the fourth P is God's promise. Let me say that one more time. God's plan, God's purpose, God's practice, and then finally God's promise. In God's plan, what you want to know, ask yourself is, what is the plan? What is God doing? The second thing is God's purpose. Why is he doing it? Or for what reason? The third thing is God's practice. How will he get it done? Or how will it be accomplished? And then lastly, God's promise asks this question. What will be the result or the benefit of following God's plan?
Looking at Genesis 1, 26 through 28, we see it very clearly in verse 26. He says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. That's his plan. He says his purpose in verse 26, B, at the end of uh, uh, verse 26, he says, they will rule the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky. How will he do it? Verse 27, he says, so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created the male and female. And then lastly, look at the promise of verse 28. He says, God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. So God's plan from the very beginning has always been for us to take what he's given and make more of it. But here's a question we have to ask ourselves. Didn't sin cancel God's mandate? And how was God's mandate affected by sin? See, I love this because in Genesis 3, 17 through 19, we have that answer. You see, the consequence of sin was not against work. The consequence of sin was that the ground would be cursed by God. And the ground would be cursed by God so that work would not become our God. We see three things in these verses that work will never cease. He says, you will, be, you will eat by your painful labor all the days of your life. We see that work will, will never be comfortable, verse 18, that um, the earth will produce thorns and thistles for you. And in verse 19, we see that work will never be convenient, that you will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground. Now, why am I saying all this? I'm saying all this because of this, this one, per- this one reason, is that rest is so important. We are called, God has called us as his people to rest from our ceaseless, uncomfortable, and inconvenient work in order to fully rest in God's sovereignty. This is a good reminder for us that during this time of isolation and quarantine, to take time to learn as a family, to take time to learn individually what it means to fully rest in God's sovereignty. If you don't have words, if you don't have an idea, you maybe use some of these as a guideline to help you. If you don't know what to say, pray these prayers. Lord, help me to rest more and more fully in you. Or Lord, teach me how to rest in the knowledge that you're in control of all things. This won't happen immediately, but day by day, teach me, Lord. Lastly, ask God, Lord, empower me to trust in your goodness and character when I don't see goodness around me. Lastly, we see the call to work in Genesis 3, 21 through 24. You see, despite our sin, despite our inaptitude, and despite our weakness and frailty, God still provides a way for us to work within his creation. And he says it very, very plainly in Genesis chapter 3, verse 23. God first clothes them. He gives them uh, clothing in Verse 21, he protects them. He sends them away so that they may not eat from the tree of life in verse 22. But listen to me in Genesis 3, 23. It says these words. So the Lord sent him away from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. God has sent Adam out and God's purposes has never changed. That He is wanting and asking and desiring us to be involved within his creation. So yes, Israel, you are exiled. But God's purposes never change. Amen. Not only does God send them into exile on purpose, not only has God called them to build and to, and to live and to thrive where they've been planted, but thirdly, God desires for the nations to be blessed 
not just the nation of Israel. Look with me in verse 7. It says, pursue the well-being of the city I've deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. I love this word, this Hebrew word pursue. It just means to seek out, to seek with care, to inquire or to follow after. This is a, a word that uh, actually Rebecca used in Genesis 25, 22, when she had her twins in her belly and they were wrestling in her belly and she didn't understand what was going on. And the same Hebrew word that's used here for pursue is it's the same word to describe how she cried out to God and prayed to him to inquire of him what was going on between the two children that was within her. Well-being and thrive in verse 7 are very closely related. Actually, they're the same word of shalom. And shalom means uh, completeness or, um, or soundness. It means our welfare. It, it covers all aspects of peace and also of plenty. It's a word that it occurs 237 times in the Bible and is closely associated to number 6, 24 and 26, this prayer that Moses prays over Israel. He says, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace or shalom. I love what David Coise says in the, um, in the book, or the, excuse me, the article, First Things. He says this about thriving or evangelization. He says, evangelization requires that we proclaim not only God's saving grace, but the norms by which he intends those who are in Christ to live. In no way do mere human beings redeem culture by engaging in creative activity. This is presumptuous. Only God in Christ redeems his fallen creation. We are most agents of his kingdom, manifesting his saving grace in everything we do, including the shaping of culture. So we see the sovereignty of God um, in, with, within the exile. Secondly, we see the sovereignty of God throughout eternity. Look with me in verses 10 through 14. In verses 10 through 14, we have these verses read over us. It says, for this is what the Lord says. When 70 years from Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not for your disaster, to give you a future and a hope. You will call to me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you this is the Lord's declaration, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore you to the place from which I deported you. Lastly, we see God's plan for the nation of Israel is always good and never punitive. In this aspect, I will invite you as well as a, as a family to pause um, and to use that plan. Remember, we talked about the four Ps to look at exactly what God's plan is for the nation Israel. Look at God's plan, look at God's purpose, look at his practice, and then finally look at his promise. If you've done that, then you see in verse 10, it's very plainly, this is God's plan. He says, I will attend to you and I will confirm my promise to you. I will restore you. Verse 11 lets us know his purpose. He says, I know the plans I have for you, plans for your well-being, to give you a future and a hope. Verses 12 through 13 tells us to practice. How is, how is he going to do it? You will call to me and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And then finally, in verse 14, he gives us the promise. I will restore to you the place from which I deported you.
So to this point, we've learned what it means for Israel to trust in the sovereignty of God. But what does it mean for us? What does it mean for our church to seize the moment despite the daunting challenges that stand before us today? You see, being in exile is much like being in the wilderness. And guess what? (laughs) The wilderness is not always a bad place to be. You see, throughout Scripture, times in the wilderness has been proven to be incredibly valuable for those who follow after God. Look at Moses. Look at David. Look at Elijah. Look even at Jesus, to just name a few. They all spent significant time alone, often alone in the wilderness. And God used these times to prepare them for what he was coming, that was coming next in their lives. And church, I believe this season, this season that we're in, of quarantine and isolation is serving as somewhat of a wilderness-like experience for us. Individually and collectively, God is preparing us for new opportunities and challenges before us. So take your time, take the time to ask yourself maybe some of these questions. In what specific ways in my life is God calling me to grow? In what specific ways is God calling my family to grow? In what specific ways is God calling me to grow within the context of my local church, or to maybe even to be more involved? How is God calling me to embody the gospel to others? And then lastly, where is God calling me to serve as a means to be a blessing for his name? And here's my prayer, church, as your pastor, here's my prayer. I pray this, I I pray this, and I encourage you to pray along with me. Lord, give us the courage the faith, and the love to willfully and joyfully enter into various problems, into countless situations, and into unthinkable predicaments that are not our own. I love what Scott Saul says in his article, Befriending and Belonging in an Age of of Scorn, excuse me. He says these words, he says, inviting others to belong and journey with us even before they believe or agree with us is a deeply Christian thing. I've met hundreds, if not thousands of people who fell in love with Jesus because a Christian or community of Christians loved, served, lifted a burden and befriended them. When Jesus said to let our light shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our father in heaven, he envisioned something like this. He envisioned people being drawn irresistibly to him, not in spite of Christians, but because of Christians. So let's seize the moment before us by doing four things. The four four things is this, knowing, number one, that the gospel is accomplished by God's initiative, that God knows what he's doing during this season. Number two, the gospel is more than just sharing words, God's word, it is sharing one's life. Number three, the gospel is more than doing good for ourselves, it is doing good for our neighbor. And finally, the gospel is more than praying for our own prosperity or the prosperity of another. It is embodying the living hope of the gospel to a world that has no knowledge of him. We see this in the text that we've just looked at. Verse four calls us to be reminded of how the gospel is accomplished by God's initiative. Verses five and six reminds us that the gospel is more than sharing God's word and sharing one's life. Verse 7 reminds us that the gospel is more than doing good for others. It is doing good for our neighbors. And then lastly, verses 10 through 14 let us know that the gospel is more than just our prosperity. 
It is embodying the living hope, living hope of God of the, of his, and his gospel to a world that has no knowledge of him. Would you pray with me? Father, we do praise you and thank you. Thank you that you have called us to be involved within your creation. I pray that you would give us courage and faith as a body of believers to see and to know and to respond with great courage and faith into various predicaments and situations and problems that are not our own. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to embody the gospel to our neighbors well this week. Help us, Lord, to do that um, with our neighbors, with our family, with the, even with our own family. We pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us in this way to glorify you. Thank you, God, that you have not called us to idleness, but to work diligently with our hands. And I pray that the work that we do, you will bless and you will be, receive much glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a church that is rooted in the community of South Louisville, and we are seeking to advance the gospel of Christ in South Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit SojournChurch.com backslash Carlisle, C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. God bless.